Welcome on in Eagles fans to episode 41 of the No Huddle Show, our Philadelphia Eagles podcast right here on NJ.com. And for the first time uh, in a few weeks, the whole band is back together alongside myself. We have Elliot Shore Parks. We have Mark Eckel. They cover the Eagles for NJ Advanced Media. And we're getting to that point of summer where we start to get excited because in just about a week, less than that for the rookies, and then uh, for everyone, just about a week from now, we're doing this podcast on Wednesday, uh, July the 19th. Or Tuesday, July nineteenth. Just Wait, about a week. Scared Everyone's back. Everyone's back, Mark. And it's football, and it's training camp, and and I'm ready, and I'm sure you guys are too. Elliot, how are you? I'm good. I got to say, I think training camp is easily my favorite part of the NFL calendar. Better than the season. I mean, the playoffs don't matter because I cover the Eagles. But then, like you know, all the off season stuff. Like, so I think I think training camp it's definitely my favorite part of the year. So I can't. I'm real excited yeah. for it to start. Wow. Can I, ask, can I just ask Elliot something before we get going? Go ahead. Would you have, because when I was your age, and, I, and we're very similar in that, this is what, your second or third year covering a team, Elliot? Yeah, well, like full time, like second or third. Base. It's like my third for NJ.com. But right. Yeah. And um, you're 27? 28. Okay, yeah. so yeah, we're almost exactly, that's right about the same time I start covering. Training camp used to be like 13 hour days in, at, at Westchester. Where, <laughs> You got there at eight o'clock, eight nine. You know, you left your house. I don't know some ungodly time in the morning, and didn't get home till whatever time at night. Or uh, there were also days I spent at the Westchester, and I used to dread training. That was my least favorite, and I hated it. And I, if there was any, if there was ever a way of avoiding training camp, I I I would have loved to. And now you're telling me it's your favorite part, but it's well, a lot will, different now. It's a I lot will different. say now now the practices under Chip practice for training oh. camp. I think at like ten thirty eleven. Doug's doing it at 8.15 in the morning. So I might not feel this way after, like, the third day. But, yeah, I mean, as of now, I mean, I just think, you know, with the injury of the roster. How different things are. Yeah. Well, they're going to be hitting again, though. We'll see how that goes. But Well, yeah, but still, it's because of the CBA. I mean, they can't they can't go twice a day like they used to. And, and Yeah. You know, but during Buddy Ryan's time, like, there was, like, two three-hour practices some, some days. Yeah, they'll go probably two hours pads for – 20, well, they might wear them the whole time, but they'll probably only hit. I would imagine um, with the hitting and the two-hour practice, they might hit for 15, 20 minutes worth of the practice for Maybe. a few days. So we'll see. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get off on a tangent there. But <laughs> all right, Joe, sorry. That's all right. You guys sound like you're raring to go here, which is, which is good. So um, we're going to look ahead in this episode. Five storylines going into camp that we're going to talk about. We'll count down what we think are the most important five to one. We'll talk about them, and obviously next week, guys, you'll be out there, uh, and you'll start seeing how these things play out. So let's start with – I, I threw this one into the mix for this morning because I thought – I've just been noticing so much optimism around the Eagles' defense for this year. Now, obviously, there's the reasons why. I mean, Jim Schwartz is here, and Billy Davis isn't. Uh, they're back to a 4-3. Uh, they added McLeod. I mean, Vinnie Curry should be better in this defense. I and mean, there's a lot of reasons why. I get it. The optimism is there. But I'll, we'll throw this out to start. We'll start with you, Elliot, and then go to Mark. Are we going too far, and by we I say us and Eagles fans as well, in how good Jim Schwartz can make this defense this year? I don't have any doubt he's going to turn this thing around you know, over the next couple of years, but they were really bad last year, and I see a lot of people that say, yeah, they could be a top 10 defense. Do you think that's the, the expectations are too high for Jim Schwartz for this season? Oh, absolutely. I think the expectations are way too high. And I mean, that's not to say – that I don't think he'll do a good job and that the defense won't be better. But, I mean, Eagles fans point to Jim Schwartz as a reason this team could make the playoffs. And I just don't think he'll have – I mean, I'm, you know, if you look at his resume, he, he, the way he's talked about does not match up. I mean, he's been a coach in the NFL for 14 years, and it's been a combination of uh, head coach and defensive coordinator. And he's only had a top 10 defense in yards three times. And, you know, the majority of these times, I mean, I'm looking at it now – you know, 25th, 27th, 32nd, 32nd, you know, 24th, 23rd. I mean, he his defenses have not always been, you know, these kind of game-changing, game-saving, game-winning defenses that people have made him out to be. I think after with how bad the defense has been the last few years, um, and really only bad for stretches of the season. But, yeah, I think expectations are way too high, and I think a lot of that has to do with people, the, the, simply the switch to the 4-3 defense, which I think will improve the uh, – defensive line I, I guess but you know as I'm sure Mark will point out and I won't steal his thunder but it's going to weaken it's going to weaken them at other areas so I absolutely think the expectations are are way too high for, for Jim Schwartz 
Mark, how about you when it comes to Schwartz? Yeah. I mean, you've you've seen this Eagles defense be so bad the last couple of years. I think they're better suited for this defense, the 4-3. I think I like Schwartz, but do you think we're going a little too far with how good he can make them this year? Yes, absolutely. As Elliot pointed out, who's Jim Schwartz? I mean, he's Jim, he's a guy. He's, he's Is he better than Billy Davis? Yes. But we could have hired somebody off our staff that would have been just <laughs> – so, uh, No, Billy Davis – and I love Billy. Billy's a great guy. Great guy, and I, I wish him nothing but the best. He should probably go be a linebacker coach somewhere, and, and that'd be great. But he wasn't a good coordinator, and he, he's, his, he, his, his play calling wasn't good. His schemes weren't that great, and the team suffered. Um, with that said, I mean, this is Jim Schwartz, not Jim Johnson, okay? Yeah. Let's get that clear. And, and as all you point out, this guy's been around. He's okay. He's a competent defensive coordinator. But you still need players. Players are what wins and loses games for you. And I don't see much improvement, if any. And I'm going to write this um, later this week or early next week. Is this defense really better? Okay, they're in a four-three. Great. Okay, I, and, I, and I, I'm a, I like the I like a four-three better than a three-four at times. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers have done very well in a three-four for for a hundred years now or so. Um, Vinny Curry will be better in a four-three, obviously. Um, Connor Marwin might not be as good. Connor Marwin was a very good player as a three-four linebacker. I, I don't know if he can play four-three defensive end because he's never done it. Um, the linebackers are, I mean, as the most average, injury-prone group of linebackers I've ever seen in my life, with no with nobody but with nothing but young, unproven players in in reserve. You got, I mean, Michael Kendricks misses three to four games a year. Jordan Hicks can't play five five games without getting he got hurt in and in, in damn mini camp for God's sake without no kind without, without contact and um, Nigel Bradham really I mean and he, he's been hurt I mean and then their top backup is Najee Good who just missed an entire season the year before last so I'm not thrown on the linebackers the cornerbacks Leotis McKelvin number one I mean he couldn't start for Buffalo he's your number one. See that that and that's that's my biggest concern. This team's that good on defense, really? Okay. Yeah, and that that that's my biggest concern is I do think the pass rush will be good this year, and I think it could potentially be very good. But if it if they don't get a consistent pass rush without blitzing, they're in real trouble because their their cornerbacks might be the worst set of starting quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, I'd have to go and look, but they have to be down there. I mean, like you said, Leotis McKelvin, you know. Not the guy you want to be your number one. I like Nolan Carroll, but, you know, he's coming off an injury. We'll see. And then, you know, Jalen Mills, I think, is going to play a lot, who as a seventh-round pick is not ideal. I mean, so their secondary could have real problems if if this pass rush if, – if Jim Schwartz isn't able to get this pass rush going without real blitzes and bringing other people. Now, the good news is, like you said, I think they might be able to do it, but if they don't – Who's what? your answer? I'm sorry, what'd you say? Who's going to blitz if they do blitz? I guess whatever linebacker is healthy that week. I don't know. Kendrick, I mean, Kendricks is a pretty good blitzer as a linebacker. Okay. Yeah. But, but even with Kendricks, and I, we're starting this off. He's supposed to do and, lo- and knows the plays. He's okay, yeah. Kendricks, right, but like, I, I agree with you. Like, they need to get the pass rush from the front four. That's well, got to be this defense. Yeah, and with Kendricks, I mean, here's the thing about Kendricks. He's always been a good blitzer because you know, he's, he's quick. He's extremely fast. He put on 15 pounds of muscle this offseason. So, I, I mean, in preparing for playing, you know, the 4-3 the defense as opposed to 3-4. So it'll be interesting to see if he's just as, as quick as he used to be. I mean, I didn't think he looked as quick in training camp. He looked strong and, bit, and you know, he looked bigger, which is, I guess, a good thing. But I didn't think he looked as quick as he – I thought it was Brandon Graham out there for, for part of the time. Looked, I mean, they, they you're good. That's a, they looked a lot alike. Yeah, they, they have a similar body types now. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting, but you know, I mean, look, the defense will be improved. It'll be hard to be worse. And I think part of it is that the offense won't be, I never put a ton of credit credence into this, but I do think the fact that they won't be on the field for as much, I mean, is only in theory going to help, but you don't um, think so, huh? I, I don't think they're going to be on the field as much. Do you? I mean, yeah, I do. Cause I think this offense is pathetic. <laughs> I think you're, I think you're you're going to see more three and outs than you than you've ever seen because they don't have any good players on offense. Well, that could be a potential problem. But yeah, three I'm, and I guess three and out is three and out any way you slice the cake. Yeah, but it, I mean, if you're killing more time in between, I mean, I, I would bet you they're on the field considerably less this year. We'll see. Um, 
Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to go to your before we move on to the next one. To go to your point, Elliot, about the corners, I think that could be their undoing too. It could be a good defense that just gets burned by big plays. I'm looking at the schedule right now. I mean, we know the NFC East has Odell Beckham, Des Bryant. Uh, the Redskins obviously have uh, Deshaun Jackson, but you go to the the other teams, you know, the non division games in the schedule, they're going to have to deal with Alshon Jeffrey, Antonio yes. Brown, um, Julio Jones, AJ Green. Like they're gonna, they're gonna have to cover big time receivers all year long. Yeah, it should go really well. We'll see. <laughs> I'm, again, I, I, I don't. I'm, I know I'm the negative guy. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the hater. But tell me, other than Fletcher Cox and maybe Vinnie Curry, like you still talk about the pass rush. Okay, that I'll, those two could be very, very good. Who else? Well, I guess that well, goes to Schwartz, right? Because two years ago in Buffalo, didn't they lead the league in sacks? And who was there? Real uh, Williams. They had Mario Williams, sure, but they and, didn't have like they didn't and, have and, and Marcel Darius. Okay, so that they but they didn't have four or five guys. They had those two. Well, I think also if you have two guys that are as good as you know, it seems like you think they can be, and as I think they can be, that only helps the other people. I mean, if you have to double team Fletcher Cox or you have to double team Vinny Curry, I mean, look, I think Vinny Logan isn't an outstanding pass rusher, but Logan's <laughs> not a pass rusher. I know, but I'm saying if you're double teaming people, I mean, these, it's only going to help the other guys around them. Sure. But he's Benny Logan still has to beat. He, Benny Logan's a very good run. I mean, he's a good run star. He's not a, if you're counting on on Benny Logan to get you a lot of sacks, you're you're in trouble. I mean, let's be serious. He's, that's not what he does. And and well, I I, I know Brandon Graham is going to get thirty two sacks this year. Is, is he going to get thirty two again this year or no? Well, all right, well, all right. So how about before we move on to the next topic, what what do what do you guys think is a fair expectation for this defense to finish overall top fifteen? Yeah, middle of the pack, 15, 16. I think if they do that in, in Schwartz's first year without, you know, corners that we can sit back and say, okay, those guys are, you know, really establishing good in the outside or in their prime or whatever with, you know, McKelvin obviously isn't. I think if they're 15, 16, I think that he did a good job this year. If they're below that, then, you know, that might just be what they have. If they're better than that, then Jim Schwartz is great. Right. If they're top 15, I'll take everything back that I just said. And they're very good. I think they're going to be in the, in the 20s, 25, 26. I'll bet you they finish up. Uh, uh, actually, I don't want to take that bet. Never mind. <laughs> I, don't I don't want to make the bet think, that I'm going to make. I think yards are the, the dumbest best. way of calculating a defense, by the way. Because if you're ahead late in the game, if you're up, not that the Eagles are going to be, but right. the team's ahead late in the game, they're going to let you get 60 garbage yards. Because they don't, all they all they want you to do is not score and run the clock down, and so they'll they'll let you get running, you know, go, you know, Sam, Sam Bradford time, exactly. <laughs> all right, just to wrap that up, the Eagles finished twenty sixth or twenty eighth actually in points allowed. Only only four teams allowed more points than the Eagles last year, from my quick research. Just kind of parse that with Jim Schwartz, and we'll see how they do. And that's going to be a big story, obviously, heading into camp. All right, our second one here, guys, who emerges as the lead running back? I mean, when I. You talk to Eagles fans about the concerns of the Eagles for this year, and there's a whole bunch of different ones on different levels. Running back in the running game tends to be one that's brought up all the time. DeMarco Murray's gone. That's probably addition by subtraction based on last year. But what do they really have, and can they run the ball effectively enough uh, to be a balanced offense? Elliot, who do you think becomes that lead back? I, I mean, I guess Ryan Matthews is, is the lead back, but he's never really you know, stayed healthy for a whole year. Yeah, I think, I mean, I guess it depends how you want to define the lead back. Like, who do, you, who do I think is going to finish with the most yards this year? Um, I mean, that's tough. I really, I, maybe Wendell Smallwood, but look, I mean, I think they're going to give Ryan Matthews a chance to be the guy. I think that would be their, their ideal plan, that if, you know, it's third and one or, you know, a big point in the game and they, and they need to run the ball, I think they want him to be that guy. The issue is, well, there's two issues. One he did, he did not look good during spring practice. He looked, especially compared to Smallwood, Barner, and Sproles, who, to be fair, is a very quick set of running backs, but he looked very slow compared to them. He looks like he, he's lost a step. Um, and two, he, he's never healthy. So, I mean, if you told me Ryan Matthews only played nine games next year, I would believe it. And it's, it's going to be hard to lead the team in rushing in nine games. So I think, I think at this time next year, when we're talking about who the best running back on this team is, I think it's going to be either Wendell Smallwood or Kenyon Barner. I think those are the two players that fit the most what Doug Peterson wants to do. I mean, Ryan Matthews struggled with drops last year too. So, you know, he's going to want his backs to catch the ball out of the field. Um, I think as soon as Wendell Smallwood's able to prove he can pass block, he'll he'll be the guy that will be out there the most. 
Mark, what do you think about the running backs this year? I think at the end of this year, the biggest topic will be what running back is the Eagles, are, are the Eagles going to draft next year in the second round? Yeah. Because that's it's without a doubt their biggest need. They don't have a running back. They, they don't have a quote-unquote lead running back. They have a bunch of guys. I mean, Ryan Matthews, if you promise me he could, that he's going to play all 16 games and never get hurt, he could be the guy. Because the only time he did that, he gained 1,200 yards. But that's the problem. He's only done it once. So, as Elliot said, you it's almost a matter of not if he's going to get hurt. When is he going to get hurt? Is he going to get hurt in the third game, the sixth game, the seventh? It's just he gets hurt. And as you get older, you get hurt easier and you don't come back as quickly. So that's the problem with Ryan Matthews. Ryan Matthews could be the guy. I'm not so I, I think Smallwood and Barner and Sproles are all just they're all it's not going to be a lead guy. It's going to be a um they're going to share the load. It's going to be they're each going to get about seven to ten carries a game, six to ten carries a game. Um and who leads them? I don't know. It'll be, it'll be very close in terms of who, who gains the most yards. Um, I don't know how much Sproles has left in the tank, to be honest with you. Uh, he did not have a – running as a running back last year, he was not very good. Uh, he was still a good punt returner, but he, he averaged, what, 3.6 yards a carry last year as a running back. He only had one game of note that I can that I remember in the, the game against the Patriots. He, he played pretty well. But other than that, I don't see any other game that really stands out to me. Smallwood, I don't know. He's a, he was a fifth round pick for a reason. I, I think he's a good second kind of back. I don't think he's a lead guy. Yeah, well, right now, obviously, he's a rookie and he has to earn that right. I mean, it's going to be interesting as we go into this year with, with Matthews because, I mean, you mentioned there, Mark, he can be that guy. I mean, he was drafted, I think, in the top half of the first round. He might have been the 12th overall pick, whatever year he came out uh, with the Chargers. I mean, there's that talent there, but. At some point, do you just start to say this is what he is? I mean, have we reached that point, Elliot, where Matthews, with his career, where it's like, you know, you'd be really surprised? I think I would if he played a full season. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think a, a better question is, what are the chances the leading rusher on this team isn't on the roster right now? I mean, you know, I think it's very possible they, they pick a guy up during training camp or after cuts are made, they sign somebody. Because, I mean, this team is trying to win now. And, you know, I think... All three of us probably disagree that's not the way to go. But if they realize, if they get to camp and they see that running back's going to be an issue, it wouldn't surprise me if they pick up a running back uh, you know, at, at some point and if that guy ended up seeing a considerable amount of time. At that point. Well, I mean, yeah, I agree. It's not gonna, I mean, they're not going to get Adrian Peterson. But, I mean, the, the, the guys that they'd be playing, whoever this guy they might potentially pick up, it's not like he's replacing Adrian Peterson either. I mean, you know, there maybe I'm sure there's – I can't think of the running back's name off the top of my head. Uh, in Kansas City, the backup to Jamal Charles. Um, they, didn't they have a couple guys last year that ran yeah, well? West was one of them. That's, West, I think, yeah. And I think that's what they're going to do here. They're going to have a bunch. They're going to have Matthews, Sproles, Barner, Smallwood all get a little bit of work. Yeah, I, Miles, I, I, Miles Davis maybe, and, and West. Those are the two guys last year. Yeah, I just it wouldn't surprise me if if. That a running back that's not currently on the roster ended up being a big part of what this offense does this year. I, I think I think it's a position where they, they could definitely like receiver. I think they're pretty set. They're either going to sink or uh, sink or swim with these guys. But running back, I think they, they, there could be changes coming. All right, let's move on to our third topic here. And this one, I find this one one of the most interesting things as subplots, not just in the moment, but guys, as we move forward with the Eagles. Elliot, you had a story uh, on NJ.com just the other day. Uh, about the Eagles and Sam Bradford and really why he's still around. And in there, you, uh, you talked about how Jeff Lurie had influence in the Eagles bringing Sam Bradford back uh, and wanted to re-sign him and, and have some stability and try to compete in 2016. Also, we know throughout the whole process with Carson Wentz and Goff and all these quarterbacks they worked out, Jeff Lurie was there and he was present. He was visible at some of those workouts. So the question now I think moves to, you know, how involved is Jeff Lurie now? And is this a good thing for the Eagles or not? I mean, when I think of owners that are involved a lot during, you know, player personnel decisions or day-to-day, I don't think of the good owners in the NFL. You think of teams that struggle. What do you make of that, guys, that, that Jeff Lurie is more involved now? Is it a case of he's just trying to get them back on track and then he's going to back out? Or is, is Jeff Lurie involved now um, as we move forward? Elliot, what, what did you think as you heard, you know, what you eventually wrote? Right. I mean, I'll say I was at the Senior Bowl back back in you know late January, early February, and there weren't many owners standing on the sideline there. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie was one of them out there on the sideline, and and you know I think there's 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 two ways to look at it. One way would be yes, you you don't want a Jerry Jones type of guy. Um, although you know I mean 
Jerry Jones has won Super Bowls. It's been a while, but Laurie's never won a Super Bowl. Jerry Jones also played college football at a major school. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, so I think, you know, I think people, you know, say you don't want a Jerry Jones. I think based off his recent success, that's probably true. But um, the, the other thing, though, is just that when it comes to Jeffrey Laurie, I mean, another way to look at it is you can't say the guy doesn't care. I mean, you know, it's not a Norman Brayman situation where he's just out and doesn't, doesn't care what the team's doing. I mean, so that is one way to look at it. I mean, the owner is invested in what's happening here, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. I mean, I'm, like, as you mentioned, he went on all the visits this year. Back in 2013, um, when they were thinking of drafting a quarterback, he was on, he was on a lot of the visits. So I think Lurie has always realized the importance of the quarterback position. And, you know, I don't think he's ever going to get to the point where he he's telling, you know, Howie what to do at, in the third round of the draft. But I, I think, especially with quarterbacks, I think he, you know, he, he wants to have his, his voice heard. And when you're the one cutting the checks, uh, you know, that, that tends to happen. You know, it's kind of funny. That, uh, you know, I've covered Jeffrey Lurie from the time he bought the team. And early on, he was hands-on. He was very hands-on early when, 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 when he first bought the team from, uh, from Norman Raymond. He was at camp every day. He was on the field. He was around. He was uh, very visible very outspoken about certain things. Um, some people feel that, and this has never been proven, but that, you know, his first, you know, the first draft pick was Mike Mamola from Boston college. Um, that Laurie really liked the, you know, he, the, you know, Laurie being from Boston, that there was that connection and that that's kind of led them a little bit, you know, I think Ray Rhodes like Mamola too. So I'm not going to say Jeffrey made that pick, but I don't think he was opposed to taking it. Boston College. He was very involved with the draft, with everything. He was in, in personnel decisions, the Mark Brunel trade that didn't happen. Um, so he was very hands-on owner. He was a very uh, involved owner. Then as the years went on, slowly but surely, he backed off, backed off, backed off to where he wasn't around at all, didn't really have much to say, um, you know, kind of just let his football people do their thing, which is what good owners do. Um now, for whatever reason, he's getting back involved, and I don't know. Maybe he, maybe it's because of Howie. I, I, I don't know. I can't answer why he's getting more involved now. But he, he's, if you know, the Sam Bradford thing, and you just see him around more. Um, my, my my guess would be not not to interrupt. My, my guess would be, I mean, you know, just based on what you said, it sounds like when Andy Reid kind of hit his stride and got things going, he didn't feel like he needed to be around. True. And I think you know, like. With the chip stuff, I think he trusted Chip at first, and then you know that's a that's a whole another debate about the chip thing. But I think now he feels like he needs to be around more, especially with kind of the way things fell apart with Chip, and now a rookie head coach, and he has Roseman, you know, not a new general manager, but it, he he wasn't he didn't have the job last year, so you know he he's kind of taking back over for the first time, and I think he just feels like he needs to be around. Now the question is, is he qualified? Well, thank you. That's what I was gonna, <laughs> that's what I was leading up to. Right. Hey, listen, it's his team. It's Jeffrey Lloyd, just like it's Jerry Jones's and Daniel Snyder's and whoever else. As their team, I could never tell an owner not to be involved because, and listen, it's their money. Jeffrey Lloyd's the one putting them that gave Fletcher Cox $64 million. You know, that, that, that's not Howie Roseman's money. That's Jeffrey Lloyd's money. Jeffrey could have given him $50 million and saved fourteen for whatever he wanted to do with it. So it's hard for me to tell a guy that owns the team and is putting their money out every every day, every week, every night, whatever – that they, they that they have no say. I mean, they have all the say. But with that said, there's something. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Jeffrey Lurie is not a football guy. Let's be honest. He, he he's a rich guy and he bought a team. Compared to Jerry, I said Jerry Jones played college football at the University of of Arkansas, a major program. Jeffrey Lurie never played football in Pop Warner. I mean, so there's a big difference between Jerry Jones and, and Jeffrey Lurie when it comes to knowing football. And you could. You know, you could say, well, he's, he's owned a team and he did surveys and study. No, you're a football guy or you're not a football guy. And let's be honest, Jeffrey's not a football guy, quote unquote football guy. And for that matter, nobody in their front office is. And that's kind of sad. Well, the new hire, the new hire from Baltimore, um, Joe Douglas, I mean, he, 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 he's more, he is a football guy. But you're right, when it comes to people actually making the What's his job? Yes, Howie. Okay, Howie. Sure, Howie. Uh, I don't know. I think he. I think he has a little, a little more say than that. Right. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's still Howie making. I mean, Howie is. Yet you're right. The ultimate decision maker. But regardless, I mean, the you know your point still stands. Howie's not a football guy. Jeffrey's not a football guy. And these are the people. You know, <laughs> right? Team president. 
what concerns me, I guess, as I think about this, like, all right, so Howie's back in charge. Now, we, we talked all offseason about all these moves Howie made, but now we're hearing more and more about how much Jeffrey may be influenced there. Like, if I'm Howie Roseman and this guy kept me around instead of firing me two years ago and then put me back in power, it's going to be tough for me to maybe disagree with him because he's the boss, right? Even if I don't know if that's the right direction. I just wonder, like, did Jeffrey say to him, we're keeping Sam and we need to get a franchise quarterback this offseason? And that's the case. Even if Howie wrote the contract and Howie made the draft pick and Howie said Wentz is the right one, that's still, like, I don't know if that's the right direction if the owner's saying, we got to do this and this, and then he's just doing it. I mean, it's the right direction for Howie because it's going to keep him getting paid every year. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but no, you're right. I mean, look, like I think you know we've bashed Sam Bradford to death on this podcast. So I think it's pretty clear how we feel how we feel about Bradford. I'm kind but, of big Sam. Yeah, yeah, NFL MVP this year. But yeah, um, possibility. But uh, but, uh, I mean, I mean, no, I I think look, anytime Jeffrey Lurie is picking the quarterback. You know, that's not a good thing. I think we can all say that. I mean, he, he's not someone, you know, I just don't I think, think that, that's not a good thing for the franchise. I don't think he picked a quarterback, so to speak, as he – this is the way I understand it, is that Howie was ready to move on from, from Sam and let him become a free agent and see uh, if he signed with somebody, fine, and they were going to go with Chase Daniel and then draft a guy. At that point, they didn't know they were going to get the two, but they, but you had to think they were thinking about it, and they knew they probably could. Um, with that said, I think Lori then stepped in and said, "No, no, no, I don't, I don't want to be really bad. I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to be in a situation where we're not competing next year. I want to compete, and I think Sam gives us the best chance to compete. So let's keep Sam for another year or two. Which, I, as an owner, I I can't fault him for that. No." And as a fan, I would think that's what you want would want to hear, right? I mean, well, he's the opposite of Sam Hinkie. If you want to look at it from a Sixers point of view, Sam Hinkie didn't want to win. But he, he, his point was, no, we don't want. We're not keeping. But right, you don't want to be mediocre. Well, let's get bad. Let's get right. bad, and then and then we'll get good. But that's not what the Eagles. And I and again, there's right. I'm not saying which way is right or wrong. I'm just saying it was a. I could. Would the Eagle fans have bought that if if they got real bad? If they had Carson Wentz on the roster, yeah. I think they would. I think they would have bought that. I think so too. Yeah, I think I, even fans would. I, and again, I'm not a fan, so I can't always think the way a fan thinks. But I, the fans I know, I think they would have been okay if they let Bradford go, spent that money somewhere else, still drafted Wentz, and had Wentz, Daniel, and you know, pick a third. You know, your typical third quarterback guy, Car- Cardell Jones, somebody like that. Cardell Jones. I'm, I'm just oh, oh, another rookie. No, I was thinking more like Thad Lewis. Just right, guy. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, just a, a third quarterback. That would keep Thad Lewis around for another year. Um, and then knowing that, all right, maybe maybe Daniel starts week one or two, but Wentz is going to get in there a lot sooner now. Maybe Wentz even starts week one. And knowing that, all right, we're going to take our lumps with a, with a young uh, rookie quarterback, but we got our guy. And we also maybe spent money other places to – Maybe we got some a, a better young linebacker or a better cornerback, and and we're gonna you know we're gonna see how how this goes. I don't know. I I would have. I think I, fans. I, I think fans definitely, definitely would have been okay with that. I would have. I would have thought too. that was a good move. I would have thought okay, they they understand that they kind of hit a hit a plateau here, and you got to start. Instead, I I can't wrap my head around what they did. I just can't. I can't. I don't feel. And all my years, and not just with the Eagles, I can't ever picture another quarterback room. With a a veteran starter making very good money, a veteran backup making the best more money than any backups ever made ever, and a number one pick that you traded a lot to go up and get. I, I I've never seen that before. No, it is it's rare. I mean that's I think it's that is unprecedented. Yeah, no, it, it's rare, and you don't unprecedented is probably the right word. You don't see it, and I think it leads us into our next. Uh, topic in our you know five storylines heading into camp is Doug Peterson's first camp as head coach and not only is he trying to become a head coach and trying to set up a schedule and a system and get this team ready to play but he also has you know as an ex-quarterback it probably gives him a, a little bit of a leg up but regardless he has this quarterback room to deal with now that we're talking about here so I mean I think I think Doug has a really good spot to come in because everyone was just seemingly so tired of Chip. And I think, you know, there's like a fresh page being turned here as so people would give him a, a start. And, um, and there's that Andy Lynx. People think, all right, he's going to – a couple of years this thing will get going. So I think he's got a, 
he's got some time, but what are you, your thoughts, guys, on his first camp? What are you looking for? And, and really, to me, the biggest thing is how he handles this quarterback stuff, and I have no idea how he's going to do it, Elliot. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you say what you're looking for for Doug Peterson, like, it's, it's almost hard to answer because, you know, when, when when Chip was coming in, it was like he was going to run these new style of practices and he was going to have his fast offense and everything. Like, like, I can't think of what a fan would be excited to find out about Doug Peterson. Like, they're going to practice early. There's going to be more hitting, but, you know, I don't really think that's a good idea. Um, but I think, yeah, with Peterson, look, like, it's going to be hard for him to be a train wreck in, in, in training camp because even if they get blown out in the games, you know, people are going to say it's just preseason and, uh, you know, practices. I will say I've noticed a lot more standing around at practice than there used to be under Chip, but that's by design, so I don't think that's, you know, chaos or anything. But, yeah, I mean, the, the real first test for, for uh, Peterson will be, and I don't think this is going to be the case, but if Bradford looks really bad and Wentz looks considerably better, what does he do? And I think, you know, as he's kind of said, he's never completely ruled out the idea that, you know, if one looks really bad and the other looks really good, then obviously he'll, he'll flip starters. But that, that'll be interesting to see how he does that. But in terms of what I'm looking for for Peterson in, in training camp, I mean, I, I guess, yeah, it's, it's the quarterbacks. I mean, I think you're not going to see anything about Peterson until to, – to me, the biggest question mark about Peterson is his time management. So and you're not going to see that until game. So, um, yeah, I mean – We'll see what happens with, with, with the quarterbacks. Exactly. And to piggyback off that, Elliot, I want to see – I mean, again, I've, I've covered a lot of camps, and, and it's, this is the first time in a, in a long time that I'm going to watch how – I mean, through the years, I, I covered Donovan McNabb for however many years, and he, you knew after year one Donovan was the guy, and he got most – he got all the reps with the number one, and then – Whoever the backup was at the time, Ty Detmer or A.J. Feely or whoever, you know, they came in and they got whatever many reps they got. And some young kid was trying to be the third guy or something. And he got the, you know, the, the least amount of reps. And that's just the way when you didn't even think twice about it. It wasn't, it wasn't a story. It wasn't. An, it was OK. That's of course, this is how it's going to be. Well, Doug kind of said at the in, a, in his last um, press conference before the, the break, oh, no, we're going to keep the, the reps even. Now, I don't know if he meant that or he, he misspoke or if he knew what the question was, but he did it in the spring. In the spring, Wentz, Bradford, Daniel kind of got – it was pretty even, right, Elliot? Yeah. No, it was, it was I mean, you were basically, basically dead even every day. Right. I mean, now, we're all 22, 23 team snaps, yeah. And that's fine in, in spring and all that, but in, is, is he going to really keep doing that in camp? Because, that, again, that would that's, that's different. And I don't know if that's good because – Sam Bradford has to get ready. If he's your opening day starter against the Cleveland Browns, he needs more than a third of the reps every day in camp. I mean, you know, this Sam Bradford's not, you know, Drew Brees. I could see if the Saints want to give Drew Brees some breaks and he's, you know, 38 years old or whatever he is now and they just don't want to overuse him or whatever. Or if you're the, the, the Green Bay Packers and you know you got Aaron Rodgers but you want to give Brett Hundley a lot of work just to see what you have in Brett Hundley. That's fine too, but Sam Bradford isn't on those isn't on that level. Sam Bradford needs a lot of. I think he needs you know big time reps to get chemistry down with Jordan Matthews and Zach Ertz and Josh Huff and Ruben Randall and anyone else Nelson Aguilar. He needs to be out there with those guys a lot. I think. I mean, I maybe I'm wrong, but um, I, and but then again, Carson Wentz needs to get some reps too, right? If he's going to be something, and. and I, I don't know. I guess Case Daniel probably needs the least amount of reps because he kind of knows the offense already. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It's gonna. I'm, that's what I'm going to be most interested in watching in, in this in camp is how are the reps split and who's with whom and the whole thing. And then that you know, and I think that's kind of the big question about this season and where a lot of people agree or disagree. And there's really kind of two sides: is what's the objective this year? Is the objective to win or is the objective to get Carson Wentz ready? And if the objective is to win, then I agree with you 100%, Mark. I mean, you know, you, you can't have your third. Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm saying what I think is going to no, happen. No, 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 I'm not saying that's what – I'm saying that your, your opinion is that they're trying to win. But I'm saying if they are trying to win – I mean, imagine if, you know, two years ago they had the, – the Eagles had Matt Barkley taking a third of the snaps. You know, like it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. So – if, if the Eagles are, are trying to win this year, and I do think that's what they're trying to do, then why are you giving Wentz all these reps? But look, if Peterson, if, if he does keep it, if he keeps it split evenly amongst the three, I think that's a pretty 
pretty big sign that, you know, for him, the objective is to get Wentz ready because he probably knows his future is tied to Wentz. I mean, he's going to be here. If Wentz is good, he'll be here a while. And if Wentz isn't, he'll be gone. So that's what we got to watch and see, because this reminds me a little bit of Buddy Ryan. I'm going, I'm going to go back in way back in history again, but I never forget Buddy's first year, 86. Now he came in, he said all things like, we're going to win now. We're going to win the division. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And people took him, took him for what he said. And then, when you know, but if you watch what he did, he wasn't about winning that year. He was about, playing the young guys like Clyde Simmons and Seth Joyner, who were rookies that year and, and easing Randall into the mix, easing, you know, easing Jaworski out and easing and, you know, easing Randall in. And, you know, so like, it's funny, like everything he did, everything he said was about winning now and everything he did was about winning in the future. And it worked for the most part. I mean, in terms of winning record season and stuff, I know it never ended in a Super Bowl, but that's what he was doing. So, Peterson could say whatever he wants, but, and again, no coach, I've never heard a coach ever come out publicly and say, oh yeah, we're not trying to win this year. We're looking ahead the next, you know, no, they're, they're never going to say that. So, um, but let's see what he does. And, and like you said, Elliot, if Wentz is getting as many reps as Bradford, then are they really trying to win this year? Right. You know, I want to throw this one at you guys. When it, we could continue the Wentz conversation because that's, the, to me, the biggest thing, and I think that's what we all think is the biggest thing of this training camp in this year is, is the progression and evolution of Carson Wentz. But when you guys are talking about Peterson, and I think both of your perspectives, I think, are interesting on this because you're around the coach every day during the season and at all these practices and games. To me, Doug Peterson so far has come off as, I don't know, like an all shucks kind of guy who's really honest. Like the whole story in L.A. you wrote about why it's probably not that big of a deal. But the whole thing about Carson Wentz being the third quarterback and being inactive, I almost feel, and obviously both of you guys feel it, probably know it more than I do because you're there. I always feel NFL coaches have to, uh, you know, they have to kind of prepare before a press conference or know what they're going to say because otherwise they put their foot in their mouth. Like what I mean by that is with Wentz. He's already said, and it's already a thing, he's going to be inactive. If something changes, and like Elliot, you were saying, if he plays well, if this becomes a, I don't know, Russell Wilson in his rookie year, where he just flat out looks like the best quarterback in camp, yeah. is he just going to change his mind? And like that makes a coach seem like he doesn't know what he's doing to fans. Like, what do you guys think about the, how honest he's been so far, and if that is going to be I mean, an issue for him? He, he's he's terrible at the podium, and it's funny, <laughs> and it's it's funny because. I remember at the uh, NFL owners meetings, um, Andy Reid wasn't there because I think he had just had hip surgery, but uh, he did a, a conference call with the, with the writers. And, you know, someone asked, why do you think Doug Peterson's ready to be a head coach? And he didn't say, you know, he's a great X's and O's guy. Or he's a great leader. The, the, I mean, he, he said those things later on, but the first thing he said out of his mouth was, I think he's ready to handle the media, which was a bit alarming within itself. But what's even more alarming is Andy Reid thought this guy was ready to handle the media and I mean, Mark, I'm, I don't know if you agree with me, but when he's on the podium, I mean, like, he, he says one thing with one answer and contradicts himself in the next one. He gives answers that don't really make sense. I mean, I remember one time at the end of the meeting, again, he, he listed uh, Jason Kelsey as a potential option at, at guard. And then, uh, uh, you know, at, during mini camps, he gave some roundabout answer about why he's going to not call the plays in. You know, the, like, he did his, his, his answers. His answers just don't make sense a lot of the time. Now, I, I do think part of it is he's, he's, on, he's, yeah, he's, I think he talks too much and I think he tries to be honest. Whereas I don't think he's reached the point where he just goes up there with prepared answers. And I think, you know, off the podium, that's one of the reasons the players like him. I think he handled the Sam Bradford situation well. Um, and Bradford said that, you know, so I, I think there, there are, there are those type of things. But look, like when the questions actually really start getting hard, like after a loss or, you know, in week seven, I mean, I, I think it could be a potential disaster up there. Or fun. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, or fun, yeah. Depending on which side you're in, yeah, sure. I mean, from our point of view, hey, give us that, give us those stupid answers. I we I, I covered Rich Kotite too. That was that was fun. Um yeah, I mean, my, my thing with, with with Peterson, when you say he, you know, if if you have to try to be honest, then you're not honest because you if you should, it shouldn't you shouldn't have to try to be honest. Honesty should come naturally. Um, so I don't know if it's that. I I think he tries to answer too much. Like like, like you brought up the one time. He, the, the, the the question was about the fact that Frank Reich was calling the plays. Yeah. During the priest during the the springtime stuff, and somebody asked him about that. And his answer, which I thought the beginning of the answer was a great answer, he said, 
Yeah, I'm letting Frank do that now because I want to see everything. I want to be – I don't want to just be bogged down calling plays because I want to watch the defense. I want to go over here and watch the special team. I want to watch the, the linemen do stuff. I want to – good answer. You're the head coach. You can't just watch the – I want to get – it's my first year. I want to see everything. Great answer. Then he goes on to say, but then, you know, come when the season starts, you know, Frank needs to do this and that, and I'm gonna, then I'm going to start doing it. And he, like he talked himself into trouble. Instead of just stopping with, yeah, it's springtime. I want to see everything. So Frank's going to do it now. He said too much, and then he kind, like you said, he contradicted himself. He could have just stopped, and he did it again with the, with the um, Wentz and Bradford thing. When he says, "Brad, you know, we have a peck. Bradford's one, Daniel two, Wentz is three. And then someone asked, "Well, what if, what if it's so clear that Wentz is the best? Is your best quarterback? Yeah. <laughs> what if it's just obvious, clear to everyone that Wentz is your best?" I believe he said something like, well, that's when he went with the iron sharpen. You know, competition is good. Iron sharpens iron, blah, blah, blah. Again, should have stopped there. But then he started talking more double talk, and he got himself in trouble to let you – you walked at her saying, like you said, like, does this guy know what he's doing? Like, it, 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 he leaves you – if he just stops sometimes, I think we would say, yeah, good answer, Doug. Okay. That's what Andy did. Andy gave short oh, answers. Andy didn't give any – Andy didn't answer anything. So exactly. Was, right, yeah. I mean, Chip was the best in terms of giving answers. Well, because Chip, I think, came across as a very bright guy. And I'm not saying Doug isn't bright. I'm just saying I think just Chip was – I just think he was better at the podium. I mean, you know, coming from Oregon, he was already – he already was at a, basically an NFL program in terms of – you know, nothing's really quite the, the Eagles media. But he already was used to that type of stuff. I mean, you know, Peterson was a backup quarterback his whole career. And so I think he'll get better at it. But you're right. I think, you know, as of – I, I don't think he's uh, – He's, he, he, I agree with you, Joe. He does come across as a bit of an aw shucks guy. And while, while answering media questions are, is not the most important thing of coaching, obviously, if it was, Andy Reid would have gone 2-14 and 14 every year. But it is, it, it is an indication of how quick you are on your feet. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. And if, if Doug has a hard time answering a simple question that from, you know, from Elliott Shore Parks, is he going to be sharp enough to alter something during the course of a game? I mean, I maybe maybe really they're right. totally un, un, unrelated, but to me, thinking on your feet is thinking on on your feet. Yep, and especially yeah, when it comes to time management. Go ahead, though, Jeff. It does. No, and I think from a fan perspective, it, it worries people. Like when you hear things where it's double speak, it makes people think he doesn't know what he's doing, even if he does, and he's just uncomfortable in that setting. It, it could shape the perception of him in his first year, and uh, you know, we know when that sets in, it's, it's tough to change that. All right, let's go to Wentz because he's. To me, the number one story of this thing this year, and it starts here with training camp uh, next week, and really his evolution and how quickly they get him ready and how quickly you know they want to get him ready um, for this season. Now, you guys are already talking about reps and the preseason and all this kind of stuff we're going to see in training camp. But as, as far as for both of you, what do you think the goal should be for the Eagles and Wentz this year? I mean, they clearly want to win this year. Bradford's the anointed starter now. So, I mean, I, I guess in their minds, if if they're doing great, like he's not going to see the field, but as far as getting him ready, Elliot, how, what do you think the goal should be? So the first thing I'll say two things to that. First, I, I think what I want to see from Wentz and what they need to work on with him in camp is, is being like, you know, slightly not safer with the ball, but he looked a little reckless at times in training camp. And I think that's one of the reasons he made a few throws. He made a few throws where I was like, this guy is easily the most talented quarterback on the roster. And he definitely is. But he also made a few throws where I was like, he looks like, you know, just a guy out there not doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, at times he would just fling the ball to, to nobody in particular. And I think that's what they have to obviously work on him before they before they put him out there. But in terms of the regular season, I think the goal should be to, to play him as soon as they think he's ready. I mean, like, I, if, they, if he doesn't take a single snap this season and they go 7-9, and nine, the season will be a complete waste. They will have accomplished nothing. It would have been, a, you know, basically a year of, of nothing. So I think, you know... In an ideal world, you get Wentz some starts, four or five starts maybe. I mean, once his team's eliminated from the playoffs, which will probably be, you know, I don't know about early on, but I think it'll be pretty clear early on this team's not going to be competitive. So I think by four or five, you know, four or five weeks to go in the season, I think, you know, ideally you want him playing those games. Yeah, I mean, Peterson has the blueprint in place. It's from, and he, he lived it. I think they should do, I think Doug Peterson should handle Sam Bradford and, Carson Wentz, the same way Andy Reid handled Doug Peterson and Donovan McNabb. Peterson started, wasn't very, wasn't very good. I think Bradford's better quarterback than Doug Peterson. Um, but, you know, let him, let him play. 
get, you know, Wentz watches and learns and he's, you know, whatever he doesn't practice, he, he doesn't practice just like Donovan did. Um, but like Elliot said, once they're out of it, once it's okay, we're not making the playoffs, boom, pull the plug, get Wentz in there. And because let's, let's be, I don't care how good Wentz is. Wentz could be the greatest quarterback in the history of football. He could win six Super Bowls. His first couple games are going to be rough. They just are. Donovan's were Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning. And just, I mean, they all start off a little rough. It just, I, I don't, I can't remember anyone coming in and lighting it up right away. I mean, I'm sure someone did, but they're, you know, and even, even, so even next year, there's going to be some, some rough spots and especially Carson Wentz more than those other guys because of where he's coming from. He didn't, he didn't go to Alabama or, or, uh, you know, Florida or Miami. He went to North Dakota state and you can't, we can't overlook that. The game, the, the jump he's making is a bigger jump than, than most quarterbacks or most players for that matter. So he's going to need some, some growing time and growing pains. So why not get them out of the way at the end of a of a you know meaningless 2016 season, so that come 2017 when he is your guy, he he's more ready and 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 has some of those you know bad games out out of the way. That's exactly. I mean, McNabb his first when he came in, you saw you saw ability obviously, and and you saw some wow some wow play. Oh look at that! Look what he just did there. But they didn't. He wasn't lights out by any means, and he, and he threw some some bad picks, and he made rookie mistakes. But then come two thousand, he was pretty darn good, and took the Eagles to the, to the playoffs. So, do you guys both agree before we uh, we wrap up our episode here that that he needs to get snaps? I heard Mike Mayock say last week that the, he has to get snaps this year at some point. But you go back to what what Peterson's been saying about the third guy being down right on game day. If he's the third quarterback all year. That that you don't get snaps like the you mentioned Mark the Donovan uh, and Peterson situation. I mean Donovan got into those games earlier in his career. They Andy put him in uh, in late in some of those games and got his feet wet. That literally can't happen if Carson Wentz is not in a uniform on Sunday afternoons. That's yeah, I hundred percent agree. I think I think he's thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It makes no sense that having these three guys together. Eh. It makes no sense. It's it's the it's the worst three guys together since Larry Curley and Mo. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I think I think it. Wentz has to play this year. If Wentz doesn't take a snap this year, I mean, I guess you can make the argument, if, right? If they win, it's not the worst. If if they're ten and six, okay, yeah. Well, if they win the Super Bowl and he doesn't play, okay. then fine. But <laughs> I mean, okay, silly. But if they're winning, he's not going to put them in, right? If they're if they're seven and five and then eight and six, well, how are, how are they winning? Are they winning? You know, thirteen to ten every week. I mean, I, like I don't know, but if they're winning. You don't pull your quarterback. Let me throw this scenario at you then, because I think this could present itself, right? So, all right, I think the worst case scenario would be they're like set. They're like eight, seven and eight heading into the last week of the season. Bradford has played decent enough all year. They're and the leader in the division is eight and seven, right? So they're in it. <laughs> All, all year long. And that means Bradford plays all year long into week 17. So I'll throw this scenario. I don't remember the exact records, but it, I'm going back to 2004 with the Giants had Kurt Warner, and they obviously drafted Eli at number one, or they traded for Eli from number one. And they started off like five and one with Warner, and then they lost three or four straight, and they, they were still in it, though. They were only about 500, and Coughlin made the switch and, and basically punted the season because Eli wasn't ready to win. I mean, do you? I could see that playing out. Like the Eagles start off okay; they're still in it, but like a decision's going to have to be made at some point, right? Like, yes. otherwise, this could just drag out. Yeah, I think the decision's already been made. I, I think Wentz is going to play when he's ready. Like, I, I don't think I, I don't envision. To me, I don't envision a scenario. Week one. I, I tweeted this, and I agree. I think there's a, a better chance Wentz starts week one than there is he's the backup in week one. What do you mean? Wow. Number, mean number two? Yeah, I, I think well, Chase he'll never be number two. Chase Daniels number two for seven. That, that's what I'm saying. He'll always be number two. That's what I'm saying. I think there's a better chance Carson. No, I agree with that. Yeah, starts week that's one. Brad Turk. Well, if Brad yeah. breaks his leg in the third preseason game. Then Daniels going to start, and Wentz will be two. Hmm. I don't know. I don't think that's a lock. Do you? Not a lock, but I would bet that. They're not going to never. I never underestimate how much Doug Peterson loves Chase Daniels. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm saying right. week one. Week one. If Bradford breaks his leg, you know, and he's out for the season, I think Daniel starts week one. I think they they've kind of promised. I mean, 
He might yeah, not start week right. two. He might not he's start right. week two. He, he, or he might not even start the second half of week one. I mean, but he's yeah. got to start week. They have to give Chase Daniel. I mean, they – After they lose to the Browns. Right. But, um, right. No, I, I mean, look, to get back to Joe's original question, I, I think if a scenario plays itself out where even it makes a little sense to put Carson Wentz in there, I think they're going to jump on it. Um, you know, I think I think Peterson – I think if, if you put – well, I know if you did it with Howie, but if you put Peterson – Onto a lie detector test, I think he would tell you he likes. I think everybody in that coaching staff would say they like Wentz better than they like Bradford, and I don't even think it would be very close. So I think that is someone they'll put there. They will. They want Wentz to play when he's ready. Do they and, want Wentz to beat? Bra- I mean, all right. Let me ask you this: Do you think again with the, with the lie detector or whatever? True. Right. Does Doug? Do they want Wentz to really outplay Bradford? in training camp and preseason. Do they want it like that? I forget who asked the question to, to Doug during that, that last mini camp thing, but what if it's, what if it's clear? So what if it is clear that Wentz is better? That Wentz is just so much better. What if it's like Russell, like, Wilson, like Matt Russell Matt Wilson, Matt Flynn, right? Yeah. I think they, I think they would want that, even though it would create obviously a tough, awkward situation with Bradford off the jump and they have to go back on their word. But if Wentz looks really good from the jump in the long run, they're better off anyway. I mean, you don't, right. you know, you don't really want Wentz to to look to struggle. Do you know what well, I mean? Like you want them both to look good if you're if right. Exactly. I'm saying if Wentz is clearly better. I mean, it's not even. It's just. Not, it's like you said, Russell Wilson, Matt Flynn back with Seattle, and that was shocking. That was a shocking move. I remember writing about yeah. saying, "Are you kidding me? They're going to play this rookie that they just gave Matt Flynn all this money, and this they're playing this, this rookie over him." And it turned out pretty well. Russell Wilson's become one of the best quarterbacks in football. Matt Flynn's a backup, but. Um, then what happens to Bradford? I mean, it's like, it's like we talked about, I think we talked about this a few days ago. I mean, do they just get rid of him? I can't imagine he'll stand there and active every week. Right. That would be, that would be something. Yeah, it would. But like, if that happened, I mean, these are, this is what we're talking about when we talk about Peterson. These are the decisions that have to be made. And, um, just to give closure to that Eli Warner situation I brought up, they were five and four. When they made the switch, the Giants started off five and two with Kurt Warner. I don't think the Eagles are going to start off five and two with Sam Bradford, but that happened. Uh, Warner was obviously a more accomplished quarterback than Bradford. They lost two games in a row, and the Giants made the switch. I, I think it'll be fascinating to see, like if we were, we all agree that Wentz has to play when they try to make it happen. Like when's the moment? I, I don't know when that's going to be, but that like this is all on Doug. Yes, it is, and it, and it's why this they they put themselves into this awkward situation with with those three guys it's just a weird like i said i, I use the word un, unprecedented because i don't remember any other team that that had a high-priced veteran a high-priced backup and a top your future i mean he's the guy going forward he's he, you know for better or worse carson wentz is where the eagles are heading it doesn't matter when they get there he is, and now we're going to start to see him and his evolution in this 2016 Eagles team. So next week, you guys will be out there at the NovaCare Center, and it will be, uh, it'll be training camp. So we'll be back soon. We'll do another episode and really start talking about what's happening on the field as it plays out over this next month or so. Elliot, as always, thanks for doing this. No problem. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening to Episode 41 of the No Huddle Show. You could. Tweet at us at the No Huddle Show. Send us questions. We'll talk about them on next week's episode. Uh, And you can, of course, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, and on NJ.com. Thanks for listening, everyone.